0: Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the Women Wired for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. This podcast was created to fulfill my obsession for the understanding of why we struggle with symptoms, the science behind them, and the reason why most women suffer for years before they seek solutions for their troubling symptoms. I'm also very passionate about teaching, both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with knowledge. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? The knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering medications as the only option because that might be the only option when you are nearing death. But to truly live a fulfilling life, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal and all the possible qualities, including developing grit, passion, and consistency. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt we fell short somehow, would you let us know how to improve it? Now, without any further delay, let's get on with today's podcast. Hey, so welcome to another podcast. I did something unique and something unusual. I normally would not have shared my personal medical information, but this testing simply blew my mind. The genetic testing I did was really to understand my metabolism. The blueprint for my metabolism was so powerful in so many ways I simply had to share. Most folks I know do not like to have their blood tests done and certainly do not like to have their genetic testing done. People say they just don't want to know if they're at a risk for a specific disease. Let me tell you something. Life is really like a game. Think about it. Is it any fun to watch a football game or a hockey game? Or if you're from England or India, watch a cricket match if you do not know the score. The only way to enjoy and also win a game is number one, know the rules. Number two, know the score and keep the score always. Learning about your blueprint or genetic or your metabolic panel actually helps you personalize your treatment plan, Sometimes it also helps you change your health trajectory if that's your focus. I do understand when people say, I do not want to know if I will get Alzheimer's. However, I think people need to have a better understanding of what genetic testing actually means. Genes actually carry information. This information has to be translated in order for us to have a disease or dysfunction. This translation is dependent on the environment. So if you know you have information that you do not want to use, in fact, your genes have some information that you do not want to use. Like for instance, I have a risk for Alzheimer's or breast cancer. You would actually have an opportunity to work towards addressing this and reducing, if not eliminating your risk. That's the power of doing the test of your genes. It is important to realize that we have about 23,000 genes and only, remember, only 100 of them have a trait where the disease that they carry have what is called 100% penetrance. That means if you have the gene, the chances are you will have the disease. And they are usually childhood diseases like cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia. A good majority of the dysfunctions and diseases can be kept at bay if you know you have the risk and how can you actually bypass them. 20 years ago when the genomic project was completed, and we were very optimistic that we would have the answers for all major diseases. We are certainly learning a lot more, but like we always say, the more we learn, the less we know. I really wanted to share with you some of these important genetic traits of mine that gave me my risks, but also gave me a solution on how I could use this information to optimize my health and avoid any dubious diseases. I want you to make sure that you actually look at the show notes because they do have a lot of diagrams and um, also the genes that I specifically got checked. Look at the notes below the diagrams because they do look busy, but they do they will be very clear if you follow them. Um, I've also explained what DNA and RNA stand for and what they mean. Um, I know Dr. Tara Scott did do a wonderful job of explaining genetics and how, how to uh, understand this information. But I've added the notes and the diagrams to, with the hope that it will, it will make it simple. Do connect with us if you need further information about this testing. This testing gave me a few things. It gave me my detoxification capacity, my metabolic profile, my risk for weight issues, my risk for possibility of breast cancer. What was more fascinating is it also gave me the best choices for food and exercise. This amazing information I think we all could use therefore avoiding guessing and trying various foods and exercises which do not work for us so once again to discuss the genie in my genes here's our conversation with dr tara scott
1: hi guys um once again dr chalam and marina from holistic and integrative center of novai we have a very special guest this is one of those um uh, those podcasts which i think most of you enjoy when i have a guest because this which means the knowledge is beyond what uh, we have, and our special guest is Dr. T- uh, Tara Scott. A Tara, when we spoke the other day, you mentioned you're half-Indian, so yeah. Tara yeah. would be pronounced uh, Tara, right? Okay. Sara means star. So, you are the star of a podcast today, so why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Well, thank you. Actually, you're right. It's not Tara, it's Tara. But a lot of people call me Tara, but it's yeah. Tara, right. And it does mean star in Hindi. So <laughs> Yeah, so happy to be here. Thank you for reaching out. I'm so excited to collaborate with people in the same space in functional medicine. It just, you know, we, we connected on Monday. We could have talked for hours about things. So it was just really, really a nice connection. So right. um, my right. background is an OBGYN. I uh, practiced for 20 years, uh, delivering babies, doing surgeries that kind of thing. And I've been in the functional medicine space for probably about over 10 years. It started first uh, with natural therapies for menopause and hormones and PCOS. And then as I learned more, I learned how much I didn't know. And then I learned more. Isn't that so, the truth. Yeah. So I went on to get training in functional medicine, got a board in functional medicine, then integrative medicine. So um, my focus is basically women's health. And we connected on your women's issues. And because yeah. I've seen so much of women's health be affected by genetics, that's also been a passion of mine. Awesome. And I, 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 I've seen a lot of, um, you know, videos on genetics, but nobody can explain stuff and simplify it like you do. And that's, that's why I thought, you know, if I want to get my uh, genetic um, uh, profile, really explain to me, you're the best person. And I think being in the functional medical space, we love to share, even though this is something I would consider very private. One of the things I want to really let people understand is as physicians, a lot of times people come to us um, thinking they have to make changes. They are ready to make changes. Then they fall off track. And what they think, their assumption is a practice like ours will judge them, judge them that they're not doing the right thing and, you know, uh, that they did something. So one of the reasons I wanted to share this is to show people I'm as bad as they are um, in many ways, right? And now I I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. I do have issues that I have, I've needed to take care of for years, but I've taken care of bits and pieces of it because everything else was more important. And finally, this year was one of those things I said, you know, I'm going to have to really get dealt to the uh, root of all of the issues that I'm struggling with. And that's how the genetic or the um, genomic analysis came about. Mm-hmm. And um, so just to give people a background. So what we will do is we're going to share some slides so people have a better understanding of what we're talking and that way you can... Take over, and I will. And don't mind me, kind of asking you questions in between. Um, that way, you know, there's some clarity for both for me and people who are listening to this. Sure. So, I, mean, I guess yeah. I'll tell you guys when to flip the slides. Then, are you able to see the slides at this point? Oh, yeah, I can see them. I just can't flip them. So, I'll just tell you when to. Yeah, flip. we'll flip. Okay. Perfect. All right. Perfect. So we called it the genie in the genes, right? And that's really what we're trying to see. So let's go to the, um, second one is, um, why can you not Sorry. do the slide? Yeah. So hang on from the beginning. Here we go. There we go. All right. So that's you, um, and your family. That's very, actually a very beautiful family. And I don't know how you did with three kids and OBGYN. Yeah. So actually the two, the two, the one in the middle and the boy on the end are twins. So I oh. once and had every obstetrical complication with that. <laughs> conception everything and so half i'm half indian the other half is puerto rican so this is uh my daughter's quentin which oh is very nice the, the party when she's 15 so that's my younger daughter in the middle oh so, that's beautiful yes and so um it, you hit the nail on the head when you said you know people come to us and they think we have it all together well i have had very unbalanced hormones for a very long time and that is obviously what prompted me to study more and more to try to fix myself. So you guys can switch to the next slide. All right. So just kind of genetics 101, we basically know that DNA is two strands of RNA and it's connected by these base pairs. And there's basically four different base pairs in the human DNA, adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. So I kind of thought it looked like a row of houses, you know, (laughs) brightly colored houses, it reminded me that each little house is like a different base pair. So there's different locations within a gene. So you can flip to the next slide. So what's important to remember is a lot of the genetics that we're doing now, or that you may see with people getting their 23andMe or some of these direct to consumer things, is really not the whole gene. The whole Mm -hmm. gene is like the whole street. And it's a SNP, which is a single nucleotide polymorphin. So that's one house. So if you think of a whole street of houses being the message or the braille code that would translate and tell the cell what to do, one location, just one location is what a SNP is. So unlike something like Down syndrome, which is a whole chromosome, an extra Mm -hmm. chromosome or a whole piece of an extra chromosome duplicating at the 22nd spot, This is just one little area. So most of the time, the consequence is not as much. And that's why it's not like these people are sick when they have these. And it's not like this isn't something that we can overcome. So So just to talk about, like when you say a chromosome, what would you like in a chromosome in terms of, is it the city or would it be the streets? Yeah, so I would see, I would probably say city or state for a chromosome. There's so many different locations within a chromosome. That could. They're, and they've actually mapped all those chromosomes off so that there's certain locations, which would be the cities. I guess you would say we have 23 chromosomes, so maybe 23 states, and each chromosome has a lot of different locations on them. Some are bigger than others. Yeah, that's, I, a, good, that's a good And idea. then when you actually look at the snippets, it's one house that we're looking at in that city, in that state. Yes, yeah, so that's a good scale. Right. Yeah. So, so for people to understand what a SNP is. Right. So the other important thing of the SNPs are that it depends where it is. So for example, on this particular gene, you can actually have, you can actually have some regions that are coding, some that are regulatory, some that don't have anything to do with it. So if you have a SNP, that's for example, the beginning, the top of that uh, slide there, it says link slip outside of the gene it might not have anything to do with it. So if you have one house that is on the corner that nobody lives there and something happens, nobody lives there, there's no significance. Whereas if you have something in the middle of the gene, which is the regulatory sequence, they might have more significance for having a change there or more importantly in the coding region. Because remember all those ACTG, those base pairs are like a language that language translates to instructions either to make a protein or to have a eye color that's blue or brown or to digest something. Right. So what's the difference between a regulation and a code? Well so a regulatory is changing, you know, it's not a coding, it's changing the amount of protein in the case of a protein. So this would this would probably be pertinent for an enzyme. Because right. for something like eye color it's blue, brown, green, but if it's something, it. what we're talking about today a lot are a lot of your enzymes, and yes. so that it changes the amount of protein, so it might be fast or slow, and then if you have it in the coding region, it's going to actually change the sequence, so it's going to maybe give a different message, so I think there's another slide in there that shows about how the shape, yes, the next one, okay, so for example, in the person one, they have an A at the third position, and so with that code, that is like Think of it as your iPhone password, you know, something you type in and it opens up your iPhone, you know, your lock code. Person mm-hmm. 2 has a T. And so at that, maybe that protein looks differently. It's a different shape, but it still functions. And in the case of proteins, a lot of times they they bind to protein. So like a key fits in a lock. Sometimes you've had keys that fit in the lock, but don't turn it. And yeah. Some things like your valet key might open your door or something, or maybe it turns on your car, but it doesn't open your glove box. Something that's a little bit different from that key. And then person three has a C there. So if you look over to the right, they have a complete distortion of the way the protein is. And so a good example of that is like sickle cell disease. We know that they have a difference in their hemoglobin and that hemoglobin does a different job of carrying oxygen. So that's why people with sickle cells, so that's it. People can have a trait where they just have an alteration or they can actually have sickle cell disease. So that's the, that's the thing that's very confusing about genetics is that um, there's so much we don't know and that we're still learning. We weren't even able to, to identify really what was normal in the human DNA till I think, 2003. So right. it hasn't been very long. So yeah, it's been 20 years since they discovered and we thought by now we would have uh, the reason for diseases and we'd have the cure for all diseases and we're still learning. And it's almost like Lesson 101 even for people who do the research. There's a lot we don't know, right? Yeah. yeah. This, this kind of, like I said, genetics 101. So if you go to the next slide, this is how I like to explain to patients. Let's just say you're coming to see me and, uh, or, and you think you're going to see Dr. Joy Scott, J-O-Y, but in walks a man, and his name is Jay scott J-A-Y. So one letter totally changed the meaning of that word. However... Uh-huh case, he's still a doctor, he's still a human, he can still help you. But one letter in that word totally changed the connotation of the word, although the end result isn't that big of a deal. Mm. So some of the sniffs we have are like that. Right. Right. And then if you say, if I say, hey, are you two coming or are you coming too, you both here too and you know what I mean when I say are you two coming, T-O-O. Or U two T W O, but yet so it's different. It's a different word, but you can still understand the meaning despite that difference. The other way I've heard it explained is you see a lot of genetic companies that are are looking at ancestry. So I, you know, I thought, hey, my ancestry is pretty straightforward. All my relatives are in India, or all of them are in Puerto Rico. So there shouldn't be really any confusion, right? But I still came up with small percentages of like Askenazi Jew, like less than a percent, yeah. American, very, very strange. So what they're doing when they're giving you that ancestry report is they're looking at little changes in the gene that will tell you where you're from. So, for example, when I teach in, uh, in Australia, instead of saying um, estrogen, E-S-T, it's O-E-S. So they have a different spelling of estrogen or color, C-O-L-O-U-R. So, when you see certain uh, words that are spelled a certain way, you can say, oh, that person's from Britain or that person's oh. from Australia, you know, and then this person is from the States. So, certain genetic changes just place you where you are geographically. So, those are also things that are looked at in those tests. And then if you do go to the next slide, there's some SNPs that, like the U into an A, if I say, you know, did you cut that off? Did you cat that off? It doesn't make any sense at all. One letter in one word totally drastically changes the meaning. So there are some SNPs that are like that as well. So first of all, it depends on where in the gene it is, and it depends on the type of mutation it is. Got it. All right. So... Even to compound that, we know that we get one gene from your mother, one gene from your father, one copy. So you get 23 chromosomes, 23 chromosomes, and that makes it. So you might have a SNP only on one copy. That yeah. would make you heterozygote. And we, we say that that would mean you have one, I hate saying abnormal, maybe a variant copy. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the correct term for normal is wild type, and to me that always that didn't make sense because wild seems like it would have the connotation that it's you know abnormal. So wild yes. is normal. Heterozygote means one abnormal copy, and homozygote means that you've gotten two. Now this is what we usually say for a whole gene, but it rings true the nomenclature for most SNPs. Now some SNPs they don't want you to refer to like that, like the comp, and we'll talk about that. They want to refer to Val, val, or valmet so but for the most part we say hetero or homo and generally what that means is that hetero is not as serious you know and we're talking about how slow an enzyme works hetero would be a milder form and homo would be a more se- severe form however you have to know all the snips though because some of them the wild type might be homozygous yeah, yeah. Abnormality, so it's very, very confusing, and it takes, takes, I mean, I've been studying it for four or five years, and I still don't even know a a scratch of it, really, that a genetic expert would know, so. Totally, I think the more you learn, the less you know, but um, it's like a maze, it's like a maze as you get to know this. So here, we're getting now into some very specific uh, genetic uh, polymorphisms, or, you know, mutations, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so this is one that we see a lot and we test for a lot in in the guise of hormonal abnormalities, and it's MTHFR, which is methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's an enzyme that is involved in folate metabolism, but it also is perfectly involved in how you make your neurotransmitters. So sometimes people can have abnormalities of the MTHFR enzyme that affect anxiety. Sometimes it doesn't affect anxiety at all. And like I said, that genetic code, what is supposed to be normal is CC or AA. So if you have CT at the, and so in this particular example, the 677 would be the house number. Okay. Like if we're thinking of the street, you've got the MTHFR street that's in the city. And I don't even know what chromosome this is on, but 677, the address, usually it's a CC, but you can have CT or TT. So in my case, I know I'm TT. So I've got that red. Okay, in 1298, you can have AA, AC, or CC. Now, according to Dr. Ben Lynch, who is one of the world experts on this particular pathway, he says that you don't really see anybody in the red that has both, right? I actually have AC at 1298, so I have three out of four, so I'm a very rare case. Mm. In words. Yeah, you never want to be a rare case. So. <laughs> <laughs> at least in this, Yeah. This is a significant, this actually has a significance, unlike a lot of those that don't have a significance. Right, right. And so they, they, you, you might see quoted that if you have, you know, the 677, that it's more of a cardiac uh, risk factor because it affects homocysteine, which is an, uh, a compound that if it's elevated, we've seen it associated with heart disease. And I, you might have also read that 1298 could maybe be more neural symptoms, but that isn't really necessarily true. It, everybody true. is, it's, it's just fascinating. Everybody can have a different manifestation of this particular enzyme. And the other thing, um, well, we'll go, I think we're going over in the next slide. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to say is, so I always think of enzymes, specifically MTHFR, COMT, a lot of the ones we're going to go over today for you as a highway, okay? So this is a highway, you know, where I live. Okay, So so the picture on the left would be the highway potentially at 3 in the morning. I know it's light in that picture, but there's no traffic there, right? And then the picture on the upper right might be how it might look at rush hour at 8 a.m. And then actually the picture on the bottom left is how it looks now because there's major construction where I live downtown. So the thing about it is is if you have a patient that you suspect an enzyme isn't working correctly, and in the case of your COMT, that's your detoxification or how you get rid of estrogen, is it really that it's coded to work that way? Or is it is the traffic there because of the time of day? Or is it because it snowed 10 inches? Or is it because there's construction? So you have a lot of other things that can also affect the genes. So when people start thinking about genes, they get hung up on, oh, I have this nip, I need to take this. Oh, I have this, I need to take this. And so there are some definite supplement recommendations that we make, but the whole overall, you know, forest through the trees, you have to think about the whole thing. And that's why, you know, we're we're touching on some of the things that you've chosen, not even knowing about your genetics, you made these correct lifestyle choices that have prevented you from having worse problems because of genetic makeup. Yeah, I call it the intuition. You know, you just work off what your body wants. You just listen. And a lot of times we don't. We just try to go with the flow. And sometimes you just have to step back. So because we're going to talk particularly about these methylation genes. So what is methylation? So methylation, you might hear, is all the buzz right now. But all it is is a chemical term, right? So methyl is a carbon and three hydrogens. And the process is such that you have one compound over here. This carbon and three hydrogens will be taken off of one compound and onto another. Mm -hmm. But in the case of estrogen, when you have that methylation, it's the second step of detoxification. So, for example, you've got estrogen floating around in your blood. Okay, and then you have one step that's phase one detoxification that changes and it makes it more polar. And the second step of detoxification is methylation, which makes it go from the sticky blood into the urine and go out of your kidney. Right. So it changes a chemical reaction. So it's kind of like you have to sweep your floor and then you have to mop it. If you just mop it and you push all the crumbs around, it's not really going to clean it. Or if you sweep it and you leave everything right there. It's going to be dirtier than if you didn't sweep it. So there's a two-step process. So in my world of women's health, you know, methylation has a lot to do with genetic expression. It's um, We we have seen, and the, the literature has gone back and forth with this, but I will maintain that having problems with MTHFR methylation can increase your risk of miscarriage. I, I did have a miscarriage myself before I knew about my genetic uh, um, uh like uh, genetic testing. Yeah. It also has to do with conversion of food into energy. So, some people might say they have fatigue or they have problems gaining weight, a lot with brain and muscle, and also with DNA repair. So, DNA repair, you know, if you have a cell that needs to be repaired, and then what's supposed to happen to the cell is it's supposed to commit suicide if it's growing too much or it's not. So, there's some people that think that even methylation. Turning on and off genes has to do with any cancer, let alone female cancers. Right. Like I said right. before, the MTHFR, if you look at the actual biochemical pathway, it's right next door to a pathway of the what we call tetrahydrobaroptin, which is where you make serotonin and dopamine. So if they're linked like a cogwheel and MTHFR is going slow, then it's going to slow down its neighbor and it can affect how you make your neurotransmitters. So it's going to affect your stress and relaxation response, your detoxification response, and then your immune response. As far as the cardiovascular function, the neighbor on the other side, not the neurotransmitter uh, cycle, but the other one is the methyl cycle. And so that has to do with SAMe and homocysteine recycling of that and so the, the literature has shown in then what happened is they started I think the first reports were a six-month-old infant that had high homocysteine and had coronary artery disease mm. so you know the baby's not eating steak and butter and everything so it's certainly not a cholesterol issue but that was tied to a defect in the synthesis of homocysteine so that baby had primary hyperhomocysteinemia, and that's a complicated thing so that's why we think now You probably check, you know, cardiovascular function, your homocysteine a lot in your patients. Absolutely, because I call it the sticky protein. And I say if you have a sticky cholesterol, the LPP, uh, little AP, S, and your sticky protein, you're really in trouble. So that's how I explain it to my patients. So here comes my result. Okay, so before we go into your results, I have a couple questions. Were you having any symptoms? Do you want to share any symptoms that you have? Sure. So let me tell you, in fact, I think that is the next slide. I, I'll put this up. Miscarriages. I've had six pregnancies. I have two live kids. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I've had, I, I had migraines from the age of 11 It uh, runs in my family. Uh, like my father's side, everybody has migraines. And when I really worked on the metabolic aspects, I've not had migraines now for 10 years. So remember from, Age of 11 till my 40s, I had a lot of migraines. Um, as far as these go, the high estrogen fibers, fortunately, that has not been an issue at all. I cannot tolerate oral contraceptives. Every time I went on it, within six months, I would get off of it. Okay. Um, this, hopefully, that's what I'm going to try and avoid. Um, and fatigue also has not been an issue. lately. It's, that's why I said, you know, a lot of it I have really taken care of, but I knew there was something that's missing. And what is not in all of this is actually the specific difficulty, the quick way that I gain weight and the difficulty I have losing weight when I have a focus of, you know, just staying healthy. And it's been an issue in the last probably a year and a half. Um, and that's where it prompted me to say, hey, what else am I missing? So let's go back. Sorry, I went too fast. Let's well, go back to this. Again, the, the test that you did is a great, great test. And so if you're a patient of Dr. veterinarians and you're watching, you definitely want to talk to her about getting this test done because in my opinion, I've done, I don't know, five or six different genetic tests on myself, but I really like their estrogen profile. And I really right. like the board. It's very user-friendly. But I also want to stress that the methyl, the methylation uh uh, 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 equation is much, much more even than this, but this is yes. one, of thorough, one of the more thorough ones. So the first gene that we see for, um, Dr. Nisha is this COMT. And you can see that what's supposed to be, um, so she has AA and it's supposed to be a different allele. So this one is usually reported a little bit differently. We usually mm-hmm. report it as Met. And sh- so you're a net. So what that means is back to that highway with construction and add traffic. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no. no kidding. If you had a four lane highway, you're down to one lane in rush ch- rush hour. So when, so it's interesting because to me, yeah, you're both of those Old two. Both of those. Yes. Okay. So interesting that you say when we talked, you thought maybe the migraines were familial, and I don't remember what your nos is. I think you had a problem there. That's migraines, but comt for me a lot of times is migraines because around the time of puberty, think of it as a highway. That highway is supposed to get rid of dopamine, okay, and serotonin, and so then you have you. I'm sorry, norepinephrine. So you've got these, um, you've got these enzymes that are getting rid of your neurotransmitters and then you get estrogen on that same pathway when you go to puberty and boy now you've got traffic and now you've got a backup so in my world girls that start having migraines in puberty I always think COMT and then so in your 40s you know maybe you at that point because you you are a little young for menopause so I think in your 40s maybe you had lower estrogen so maybe that and the combination of the lifestyle diet changes that you did help that. But I see this in a lot of migraine patients, the COMT. So you have a three to fold reduction of your enzymes. And so the great thing about this enzyme is I've seen a lot of response to what we call epigenetics. So this one is um, like the highway, but you can fix it. You can give it a detour. You can give alternate pathway. So this is something that is definitely something you want to identify because there there is treatment for this, and we have been able to follow women's urine estrogen metabolites from pre-treatment and post-treatment. I do this in all my breast cancer patients, and I've seen these levels go down with just supplement treatment and lifestyle, which is great. So yeah, it, it's amazing. But I, I can actually for this blame my parents because it looks like I inherited bulk. Yes, yes. And so you can see that it says key intervention, increasing soluble fiber, maintain the quality of dietary fat, losing weight, exercise. It says select nutrition. It doesn't say what, but yet usually what we recommend here is magnesium. Mm -hmm. It's a great nutrient here. Sometimes we tell people to take SAMe. And if you're not methyl sensitive, somebody like you might be methyl sensitive because your enzyme is so slow. So if we start giving you methyl groups and you start making more neurotransmitters, guess what? They can't go anywhere because the comp is slow. So I don't. Crazier than I am. Yes. So I don't usually recommend that unless I know if the patient's tried it or not. Now, the anti-HFR. You, for the C677, which seems to be the more serious one, not yes. that's that one is good for you. I do have the other variation, but I think I forgot I'd get that. So we went over the slides. These are all my symptoms, except for a couple. Yeah, And then you were talking about the detoxification pathways, right? Uh, so this is like my version. It looks like a chili pepper, but it's actually the liver. And what you were talking about, the phase one and the phase two. So where you add the methyl group is when eventually it gets kicked out of the system. And you think my problem is in the second a- aspect, yes. second pathway. So, so phase one, there are some of your genes that were tested in here. Phase one of estrogen metabolism is 1A1, 1B1. Uh, right. A4, that would be phase one, and that's usually a hydro, there's 1A1, that's phase one. Mm -hmm. This one is negative for you, no variant, meaning that it functions correctly. Now, GSTP is phase two, so usually the cytochromes are phase one, and phase two depends on what it is. It could be methylation, it could be sulfation, it could be glucuronidation. So Mm -hmm. it could be any of those things in phase two, but for estrogen, it's methylation so it's comped T so got it so go I have actually yeah go okay. ahead so for this one glutathione, glutathione s transferase I I explained to people that glutathione was like your big vacuum cleaner it just goes in and detoxes everything and if I had um, you know if we had the diagram I didn't give it to you because it's kind of scary and busy of the methyl cycle the folate cycle the methyl cycle then it goes to your right. sulfation, through CBS and then that's where you make glutathione. So thankfully for you that you didn't have a variant at this gene. Absolutely. Actually, my tests also do that. Now, this is another one. So it was another glutathione S-transferase. And so this is also involved in phase two, as you can see, of xenobiotics carcinogens. So this, this gene is usually read as absent or present. And so it's saying that you have a deletion. So we didn't really cover deletion in our SNPs at the beginning, but you can also have a deletion. So it's kind of like some genetic tests do spell check. But in the case of 2-TOO and TWO, they wouldn't get that, right? Mm. If you had a deletion, you know, you're just doing a spell check, not a grammar check, and you might miss that, depending on which genetic company you use. So this is actually a deletion. So basically this says it's less Less enzyme activity, so less ability to detoxify. Um, And especially, so this is something that you personally want to make sure your cleaning products, your makeup, everything else you use, you're not using harmful products, anything in your environment you're doing. And then most of my patients, when they have this, I um, usually recommend doing some kind of detox. I mean, you can do a medical food detox or sometimes people just do Four or five days on fruits and vegetables. You know, I know that you have a really good diet. So sometimes they do that because there's a lot of toxins in our meat as well. So that's the xenobiotics and the extra hormones as well. Right. I know I used to cook in plastic. I was one of those, you know, typical residents come back and whatever I buy the food and I would just stick it in the microwave. The the vessel would melt into the food and I would just have it. So yeah. talk to me about xenobiotics. I have it. I'm loaded with it. Yes. And you know what is, I haven't experienced this myself in my practice, but I've had a lot of other practitioners say that they just tell women to stop drinking bottle water and they have increased their estrogen burden. I have my, you know, my refillable water bottle yes. and my reverse osmosis water that I drink out of. Um, but some people have a lot of plastics, like you said. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. this, yeah, go ahead this is just an overview of your detoxification genes that were on this particular test. So you can see the one, a one there's two different snips. So remember like two different houses on that same street. Mm-hmm. One of them you have a snip of one of them you don't. And then you have your glutathione SNPs. snips. Those are the next three, two of them. You're fine. One of them is indeterminate because you have an absent. And then there's your NQ01 N- o- that uh, you were also okay on. So I'm not, that bad. As Good. Yet. Good stuff. You, I mean, you have, you, know, you have some issues. You're an estrogen factory according to your genes. Correct. I, I, can, I can vouch for that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a little busy slide, but I thought it was pertinent to what we were, because most people, what do they think of when they have a problem? They go online, they research. And, you know, one of the things that you told me is you cannot take these specialty supplements. That's not what is going to work for you. So, you know, when they go around buying these supplements, even for us, there's a lot we have to get into before we decide what supplements people should be on. Do you want to just simplify this diagram for for people, like how you determine? This is just like the typical functional medicine approach, right? So... I mean, when I started getting into hormones 15 years ago, it was like prescribe, 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 but it wasn't necessarily functional because I wasn't thinking about detoxification and the gut and this. So up at the top, you have specific specialty supplements. The DIM and the I3C, a lot of people do take that, works on phase one of your detoxification. Mm-hmm. In your gene, specifically, your 1A1 was already upregulated. So to give you more DIM and to push more estrogen down that pathway wouldn't necessarily help you. Correct. So the specific vitamins; those are the cofactors. So if you're a bakery and you want, and I'm trying to support your business, I could give you flour, or I could give you a muffin pan, a bundt pan. You know, with with you having flour and cake batter, you can't make anything without the specific pan. So the vitamins are the cofactors that have to help those enzymes run. So a lot of those. And and here, it does say folic acid. I want to make sure that we point out that's actually folate. Folic acid is synthetic, and a lot of the diagrams in the medical world haven't made that designation, but um, folate is what we would uh, specifically uh, suggest. So the 5-methyl-THF is a form of folate, and the lipoic acid is an antioxidant, and NAC, N-acetylcysteine, is a precursor to glutathione. As far as diet, you were telling me that you uh, you know you have a vegan diet and you crave cruciferous vegetables, so right. that probably you know that's going to help. Obviously, not only from the fiber, but the extract from the cruciferous vegetables is going to stimulate your one A one and your phase one. Your intestine, you know, you have so many ways to detoxify. You have your urine, your skin, your liver, and your bowel. So bowel needs to be working to be able to detoxify. And as a matter of fact. One thing that boggled me when I, I actually learned it is that if you have dysbiosis, the gut makes more uh, beta-glucuronidase, and you're, you can excrete estrogen through the liver into the stool, and then those bacteria can take the estrogen out of your stool and give it back to you. Yep. yep. Yes. So calcium d helps bind up estrogen in the gut, and that's actually really well tolerated too. And so that's not phase one or phase two, that's in the gut. After phase one and phase two, liver dumps into the gut. And obviously taking a probiotic, your microbiome, that's like a whole nother hour of talking about that, how it ha- helps you. One, point, one thing I want to point out is where you put avoid antibiotic. And this it really will be for all of those uh, patients who actually call and say, you know, I have a cold, I need something. I have a urinary tract infection, I need something. We try to look at antibiotic as, uh, you know, you, I had somebody who came in yesterday, nine weeks of antibiotics for a cold. That's not a cold. If it was, I mean, that's, that's not something that needed an antibiotic. So a lot of times before you ask for antibiotics, make sure you actually need it. Right. I'm, um, I'm in favor of antibiotics for life-threatening right. situations, right? But for a common cold, you're right. Yeah. The other mineral supplements, magnesium, something that really fosters the COMPT enzyme. So we like that. Selenium helps the thyroid. And then obviously, here's the other wrench. You could be doing everything right and have a good diet. But once you have insulin resistance, which could be genetic or could be, you know, what you're eating or could be because of cortisol issues. Right. And that throw a wrench into everything. And that's one thing that I couldn't figure out. First, the bowel thing, like, why are these things not working for people's detoxification? And then it was the bowel thing. Or after that, why is it still not working? Still not working. And in my case, it's been cortisol for the last 15 years. And I think, you know, a finally was like, well, this is why I'm still stuck in this place because of the cortisol issue. Right. So, And, and the insulin resistance is actually a protective mechanism. The body resists the action of insulin because it feels... It needs that energy. The glucose needs to stay out of the cell so it stays in your blood. So really, we have to look at, like you said, the adrenal issue for people who are actually eating healthy. I mean, the stress has the same impact, whether it be emotional, physical or chemical stress. I mean, those are the stresses we are exposed to. They have the same impact as you eating a crappy diet. Right. Very, very important. Yeah. And so some of it too, with you and, you know, with our Indian heritage, there's a high incidence of diabetes. Oh, wow. population. Indian- yeah. And I'm wondering if it, those genes that were, I don't know if you put those in the presentation, but those genes that you have that actually I'd have to go back and look at mine to see if I have those as well, because I have, I was pre-diabetic as well, even with a good diet and exercise. So that yeah. could be because of your heritage. Yeah, I did. I did mention nine of my aunts and uncles were diabetics and four of them died from complications of diabetes. My mother is a diabetic. So it's just I know I don't want to go down that route. And the only way I can do is I have to constantly address all of those issues. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, we have to bring this up. Also, women tend to ignore symptoms because, you know, you can continue to function. Some symptoms like g- the genetic SNPs. Some of them really get you down. Some of them will let you function at a normal pace. So you don't really look at it till it all comes tumbling down. So I think it's very important. And the only reason I did this test is I do have some symptoms and I wanted to know my estrogen. And I knew that was the only piece of the puzzle that I haven't addressed because hormone is not my thing. Um, And, you know, I don't. Yeah, so. That's a really, a really, really really glad that you said that especially for all your patients that are listening because as women we're we need to buck it up because if you have hormonal then people think you're weak or you're crazy or whatever you know in this you know they look at it it's not favorable right if you say right. you have a hormone issue and so we we you know, internalize it we'll get through it and you know the 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 word on the street is still that don't take hormones they cause cancer people still think that you know they don't understand because the media is not kind about it so I think you know, in your case, my issue is people should know their genetics and they should know their their hormone levels. So it's kind of like saving for retirement. You don't need to save for retirement, right? Yeah. No one's you, you have to. It's just if you make a choice that you want to save for retirement so that you have an easier time and a better life when you retire. So yes. the same thing is functional medicine. No one's telling you you have to do it. But if you want to be proactive about your health and learn about your genetics your insulin metabolism your hormone levels then you're going to be proactive in your health health and finding the root cause of symptoms right and then a lot of people they accumulated for years and then when they meet the functional medical doctor they're hoping that that one appointment will completely transform their lives and this is why look at this little screen how complex It can get, but it can be simple if you go in a very systematic way, and you just have the guidance. So, I mean, I could have easily done my own hormone, but I'm like, I'm going to get the best person I know for this, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. So glad you did, because even even though you weren't having a lot of symptoms of your of your menopause and 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 perimenopause, that you're really lucky. So. Right. I mean, I don't, don't have any, uh, any symptoms. It's just, I I have that one issue that I want to address. And I'm like, I know it's from my estrogen. So I'm glad it actually answered. And you know, this is very interesting. The specific phytonutrients I, I should mention before I got my gut cleaned, I could not stand the taste of lemon or lime. I mean, I literally could not. And a lot of Indian, um, you know, the food part of it, the lemon pickle and a lot of lime in a lot of our food and I'm like don't use lime and lemon and now my husband always teases me he says we need to have a lemon tree in our home because that's how much lemon I use it just shows how when your gut bacteria actually shifts your taste buds shift and you know I think I have now the bacteria that can really digest pectin and you know all of the citrus fruits and I can actually tolerate them I, I had it all through my childhood I would not touch an orange that's of, really of all the fruits, it's it's just very yeah. really interesting. Yeah, interesting. So. All right, here's the, uh, the area. This is the detoxification. I think we've beaten it to death, but I, I think well, these one are one the... of one I want to point out here. Actually, right. a couple of things that I want to point out here. So sure. we, we've already gone over most of these, but the very first one at the top is seventeen a one a. That's mm-hmm. also known as aromatase. Okay, so here's the kicker. That's the enzyme between testosterone and estrone, and DHEA and, est- and estro- estradiol also. So I have seen this in people before we were able to test for this. I couldn't understand why their testosterone was always low and then their estrogen was high. Well, what was the source of estrogen? Because they didn't have ovaries. How could they still have high estrogen? So you have a fast aromatase, which means your body wants to turn testosterone into estrogen. Which isn't necessarily always good because there's, that's another pathway that's feeding estrogen. Okay? Right. The second thing, you've got A1A. We talked about that. A1A is the one that is um, the good metabolite of estrogen metabolism. But then you have 1B1. You can see there you've got a snippet 1B1. So guess what? That's one pathway that your body will preferentially send estrogen, and it makes a metabolite called formafoxy that particular metabolite can be really bad and go under a quinolone reaction and damage DNA and cause cancer. So mm-hmm. instead of going that way, you want it to go to towards the comp. And guess what? Your Compt is slow. Yes. So that's a big problem that you're funneling it to 1v1 and then maybe not getting out of it. So for you, definitely, if you're not doing a lot of antioxidant and Marina being a a dietitian can help you with a- antioxidants if you're you know resveratrol and NAC is what I usually recommend for patients. You've got the in uh, the absent GSTM1. So then you know that might be something that will help your body get rid of that toxic metabolite. So even just looking at you know your basic Compton MTHFR, you can see is only a small piece of estrogen metabolism. So this test is great because I uh, I am not aware of many tests that has that seventeen a one on it, and I think that's a very important piece to the puzzle as far as hormones. So basically, not only am I not getting rid of my estrogen eff- effectively, I'm also making a whole lot from nothing. You're shunting it from other things. In estrogen. Yeah. It's like it's like you're the you're the kid at school who's like saying. Hey, come in here let's smoke pot and you're trying to grab everyone to go in this in this bathroom here and smoke pot and get everyone even the good kids yes You're know, the bad influence here. <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's all go in yeah <laughs> so what happens if we have genetics out there <laughs> right 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 so again that's why i didn't know you sent me this before you even told me if you're having symptoms or no symptoms so here, look at you, you weren't even really having any specific estrogen symptoms. So it's really lucky for you that you found this out because we talked about following up with the Dutch test to really look and see to prevent and prevent breast cancer. So in my own little practice, when I test everybody with breast cancer, uh, I would say over 90% have either a comp mutation or one of the MTHFR. And if they have the one B1 SNP that in- turns it up higher than. They're at more of a risk of not getting rid of the estrogen, and estrogen being something that stimulates growth of the breast and the uterus without the balancing progesterone. Right, right. And I, you know, I, as after I got this done, I was looking at all the list of my patients who probably need to get this done. Yes. Because that's that's probably the missing link as to why we have to continue to monitor and try to figure out a hey, how do I reduce the risk for breast cancer. So this is yes. be eye opening. Yeah, your um, and your salt one. Can you go back one second? So sure, sure. Your salt one two. Your salt is yes. at the bottom. That yeah. you also had a heterozygote SNP that is associated with lower enzyme activity, higher BMI, and longer exposure to endogenous hormones. So you endogenously are turning all your hormones into estrogen. You're not getting rid of it, and the salt is also you're not deactivating it. So. Double whammy, I'm all woman, ma'am. I'm all woman. <laughs> so, that's so okay. really, that, the, honestly, that's why your skin and your hair look so good. You don't have wrinkles at all. You look a lot younger than you because your estrogen is probably, probably, maybe. I don't want to mess around with this. Just let it be. <laughs> I'll have later. Yeah. yeah, I'll just have the breast cancer and just have long hair, and good skin. All right. So these can be run over. Your SOD um, also has more to do with oxidative stress. So you had a homozygote SNP here, and so this would be more of a problem if you were a smoker mm-hmm. or using traditional hormone therapy that is oral synthetic estrogen. That, with smoking, would make you increase risk for for um, blood clots. With this SNP, this is your oxidative stress. We want to make sure that you're hitting the antioxidants either either in the diet or that you're taking them. Absolutely. Okay. So this is the summary of a lot of what you have mentioned. And what's interesting about this is weight management has been a lifelong challenge for me. And I think if I actually took my supplements, I might have a better chance as maintaining my weight little le- with a little less stress. And I'm terrible with my supplements, and I do admit to that. Fresh-printed fats is very, very interesting. And with the craze of everybody going on a ketogenic diet, I did a podcast uh, a week ago about ketogenic diets. So to do that, one of the things, and I think most physicians do that, I always experiment when I can with myself before I can say, okay, these these are the things. And I can tell you, honestly, three days of just doing fat, and I didn't do saturated fats. I did mostly fats. I was not well at the end of the third day. I felt swollen. I felt very uncomfortable. And as much as everybody believes the ketogenic diet is the next magic bullet, which is what we're all looking for, one of the biggest things is there are some people who absolutely don't do well, and this may be the answer, we don't process fats as well. I just can't do fats. And I've known that for a long, long time. That's why I always gravitated towards carbs. I'm not talking about the simple carbs, though I I love simple carbs, but I do gravitate towards more of the vegetables. And um, exercise, I have to tell you about my exercise routine, too. I have to do high intensity. I cannot be one of those that walks. I can walk for hours and not lose. I can actually gain weight. So it's really the high intensity. And it's so fascinating that your genes actually tell you, hey, what you've al- already known is already written in your genetic material. But I, I think uh, you had a couple of snips, I think, that showed that you would respond well to weight training, right? Or did you have that on there? I like, think so. I think I do have some ways. Uh, this is with a high like endurance athlete and elite lead. It Correct. I do thinking. have it here, but you know, I was never athletic. I would avoid anything. I have a high injury risk. I think somewhere yeah. here it comes. Yes. Yes. Okay. So these are the interesting ones too. I made some notes here. So we talked about the whole, is it the fact that you're Indian or yeah, there's your athletic per- performance, right? Yeah. And yeah. Then- these last ones were the um I've heard um people refer to them as the fat gene the FTO the ones Yeah. So FTO is here I think or is it here this is an inf- okay inflammation so this one the fat mass and obesity related so you have just one just a hetero so that's associated with a higher BMI and so that might also be how you process fats which why another reason why maybe you didn't feel good on keto and so uh you have to restrict you know your uh types of fats that so you have decreased saturated fats and yeah fat. and you like you said regular physical activity is recommended for you you've got to do something six days a week yes i do i actually would do, if i do seven days a week i'm really good and uh, i think this was uh, also high this is my inflammatory this one was heterozygote as well so moderately higher levels of crp which is we think the most sensitive inflammation, uh, sensitive inflammation for cardiac disease in women. So, this is saying that you will have, you can't exercise, exercise high intensity too often in a row. But with you doing what you said was the high intensity interval training, yes. you are at higher risk for injury. So, the shorter bursts of energy is going to get you better metabolic effect without getting endurance. So, if you were going to run a marathon and run the same pace the whole time, and run for two hours a day rather than do 30 minutes of intervals, warm yes. up, some intervals, cool down, you're going to have less risk injury and, and better metabolic. And you can, you know, people sometimes figure that out intuitively. Like you said, you figured that out. without Totally, yes. So I, I, I've just done this. I've worked with trainers and I just know I cannot sustain anything. I have to do interval training. And that's the only way. And it has to be pretty high intensity for me to get some results. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And, um, this- these are all injury and collagen genes, and so that's why it puts you at a higher risk because these are the collagens and soft tissue. One is for ligaments and tendons, and one is for soft tissue, and these put you at an increased risk of injury, and that's why when you had your overall summary, your risk was a little bit higher. So uh-huh. you're probably someone who wants to do, as you get older, balance things. Do you do yoga? Yes. Flexibility, yes. So that's going to be really good balance as you uh, are in the menopausal years and you're at risk for uh, osteoporosis because right. you know, you're high risk. So strength training as well to make sure that your core is straight, is strengthened, you know, and your muscle mass is good. I know, and this is it's also again so intuitive. At some point, I realized I needed to get into yoga. And this was something that had been, it was a burning desire for me to do it as I've gotten older. And I can, now when I see the genes and I'm like, Donna, just listen to that little voice. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So these right. are antioxidants again. And so I think these were, um, the first one was net, was normal and this these are greater aerobic performance. So they... And you know, they have some that are fast twitch and slow, slow twitch. So the sec, the one at the bottom, the PPR GC1A is yeah. an increase of the slow switch. Um, so um, this is saying that you personally have a better aerobic capacity. And that might be why you're able to tolerate the high intensity in our chair ter- Because some people can't do that. You yeah. tolerate that high intensity, you know. Yeah. No, totally. I, I get it. And uh, this was, I think, the final summary. Um, and it doesn't look like I'm very powerful or I endure too much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was never athletic to begin with. Um, let me stop the share. So getting to, let me see if there's anybody who has any questions. Am I on the right face? Um, I know. <laughs> <a good trainer. laughs> One of our clients just said, I know a good trainer. That her husband is a trainer. <laughs> so, just, you know, because we have clients who train, you know, like running every single day. And they were actually highly inflamed. And when they switched it over to more flexibility and um, weights and stuff, they did a lot better. Yeah. So it's cool that it actually shows up in your genetics too. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at mine because I did this exact test last year, but I didn't pay as much attention as that as the methylation and the detox snips, you know. And so I'm going to have to pull mine out and see because I I am a runner, but I prefer to run like a 5K. I mean, I can run marathons and half marathons, but I'm a better, faster runner. So I like you like to do intervals and mm-hmm. do speed rather than my friends that can just go run 20 miles all the time, and it never bothers them. I'd rather go faster for shorter. So right. I know. It's awesome. And I think a lot of, lot of times, um, uh, we, how can we get this testing done? You can get it done in our office. So well, it's just a swab, and that's the interesting. It's a very simple test to really to do and give such a lot of information that you're looking for. And uh, I think the key thing is, what do you do with the information? you got to do something with the information. It, it actually will transform how you're going to live your life in many ways. You optimize your good genes and you really uh, curtail the ones that probably will, um, you know, put you at a higher risk for disease processes. So that's where the process comes. And it's and unlike the liver slide that we showed, and I think we have that, it's like so many steps to it, right? Those yellow slides that... Um, Whichever one that was with, here we go. Um, it's actually, we are looking at supplements, vitamins, uh, the gut health, uh, specific diet, as well as um, um, looking at your um, uh, metabolic rate. I mean, there's so much. In, it's not a question of just take, do the test and take the supplements. It's the whole um, process, the systematic approach. So for somebody who is really struggling with issues, uh, why, would you recommend uh, the, um, this genomic analysis for everybody? So that's a really good question for anyone who has some of the issues that we talked about, like weight, any of the hormonal issues, the miscarriages like you have, fatigue, um, migraines is another really good one. Um, the, the high blood pressure and the inflammation one; those are very helpful as well. I always think information is powerful, and so I've had some patients um, not want to know because they're afraid. That's true. So, right, and so one of the things, and I don't was your was Abelie uh, Abelie was on here, and yours is. Yeah, I'm three,
0: three. I'm good. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm 3'4", so I have an increased risk of Alzheimer's. And I know there's people that don't really want to know. And so what I always tell people is about the agouti mice. So there was a study that was looking at mice, and they were brown. All of a sudden, they saw these yellow mice that were heavy and had diabetes, right? And they thought, well, the yellow fur wasn't causing them to have diabetes or to be obese. So they started changing their chow to have B vitamins in it. And so the yellow pregnant mice gave birth to brown silky mice. Yes. And that's only with the B vitamins. So that's when you talked about all that yellow diagram with the supplements, the manipulation, the lifestyle. So having the genes, if you knew you had that risk, would you do something differently? Correct. And I think that's the key message. I know people are scared. They say, I don't want to know because I think. The message that they received is if you have a genetic trait, you are going to get it. And I think the message we're trying to convey here is know your genes so you know how to handle what they, and you can only t- choose to take what you want from your genetic information, not necessarily sit back and say, oh, I'm going to get it. Right. So. I, I, my whole family on my husband's side, they all have the four and, um, you know, it's it's a real struggle trying to get them to understand, you know, you can actually uh, change the trajectory of your health, your life based on uh, knowing your genes, because it'll, it'll tell you what exactly you should be, probably how you should be living your life to get the best out of it. Yeah, so your in answer to your question, I do think everybody should do it. I mean, the downside is it's not covered on your insurance, but it's not a test that you have to keep doing, right? You just do it the one time. Your genetics aren't gonna change. That's you right. You get the reading one time, it's an investment into your retirement per se. And you know, you can make your decisions based on that. Yeah. Absolutely good, but um, insurance isn't covered in a sense too. Not. You don't I'm want really your insurance, to, yeah, yeah, you don't want your insurance to know your genetics. Number one, the mo- most important thing. Can you imagine them basing their coverage based on what? Because the be, uh, once again, this is like the myth, right? I have the genes, therefore I have the, I will have the disease. That's a myth. And uh, insurance is going to be very dogmatic about it. You have the four for. Oh my God, this person is a high risk for Alzheimer's. No long term care insurance for this person. Right. That would be, um, you know, I, I, I tell people. Be careful what you use your insurance for. Insurance is really to help you when you have a catastrophic event so that potentially you may not become bankrupt. It doesn't ensure you to have great health. It doesn't ensure you to have even good health. It really ensures it's really the use of it is when you have that catastrophic event, you don't have to foot the $125,000 bill, just $30,000 is your Um, share of (laughs) if you have the 30,000 so anyways so this was awesome thank you so much um, Tara for actually reviewing this because now it gives me it was the that I needed to say get on the Dawn supplements it's not just simply about diet and exercise I've got to be taking my supplements which I am terrible at but now I will follow your recommendations and thank you for the write-ups because I will do and maybe Six months from now, we should do I'll do a Dutch now and I'll do a Dutch later and then we will see how I actually all of this intervention help. That's a great idea. And I have a lot of those case studies um, on my patients too. I teach a course on how to do this. So I have the breast cancer patient with her urine metabolites through there right. based on she didn't do the genetics right away. So, you know, we saw like how do the how do the detoxification support help and then finally getting the genetics and 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 helping that. So it's really fascinating, and it, it works. So, and this this is really about personalized and precision medicine. You know, you you just talk about you know people want to come and they they try different diets. They try. I don't even know why they lose decades trying to tinker with something for which even those of us who work in this field have no clue, because there's so much to learn. And every time you learn something, it's outdated by the time you got to understand it and uh, apply it in practice for about six months, it's like something new comes up. So I always, you know, the really the biggest, um, I would say a public service PSA would be, don't try to tinker with your own self, reach out to a professional. And in actually Ohio and I'm in Michigan. So reach out and we can do the task. We can actually help you and guide you through the transformation. And you may need it only for a short period. And after that, you're on your own because a good part of functional medicine is educating people to take care of themselves. I don't think any other profession, people are okay with having the same problem come back to them over and over again for years. Right? Yes. Yes. So I think this is, you know, we are in an um, in a, a age where you can actually get to the root cause. You can actually understand your risk and therefore you can modify your whole health trajectory and look at your health span. This is not about lifespan. We're all going to die. I might, you know, just walk out and on the icy roads be dead tomorrow morning. But all I, what we are looking at, as long as you're living, let illness not be your barrier to achieving what you need to achieve in life. So, uh, is there anything else that you would advise? And we will, I, I guess we will schedule another meeting at some point after I do the intervention. No, I think what uh, like I mean, you said, it's a practice like yourself, yours, that has personalized approach to medicine. You have your dietitian on staff who can personalize her recommendation based on these genetics and other things. So I think that's that's awesome. That's why you know functional medicine is so great. So you're yep. happy to have you. thank you and you've been awesome I really appreciate it and I appreciate your time. You. Okay,
0: take care. Alright, take thank care. You. Bye. Alrighty then if you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.